Alrighty, hey, if you've got a Bible on you, then uh, why don't you turn and we'll get to this eventually. Romans chapter 15, we're also going to go to 1 Kings 19, but it'll come up on the screen as well. And if you're taking notes this morning, I've entitled this message, 7,000 Reasons to be Filled with Hope. 7,000 Reasons to be filled with hope. And I want to talk about how each one of us can live a hope-filled life even amidst uncertainty and challenge. Do you know that's possible? It is. It's possible uh, to do that very thing. You know, we often define hope or hope is defined as someone who has a confident expectation that good is coming. But how many know for a lot of people outside these walls, perhaps, as they look to the horizon to see what's ahead, there's not too many things sometimes to look forward to. And so hope must be about more than what might be ahead. And the Bible tells us that the hope that we have, which is the anchor to our souls, it comes not from these external places, not from stuff happening out there, but it comes from God. And the intention of God for our lives is that each, each of us would experience a life, get this, overflowing with hope. Not just a little bit of hope, but a, a life that is overflowing with the hope of God. That is the promise of God in the scriptures. In fact, let's just look at that. Right now in Romans chapter 15, verse 13, I'm reading from the New King James Version. It says this, Now may the, hope, the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace, sounding good so far, isn't it? In believing, so that you may abound in hope by the power of of the Holy Spirit. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The NIV version says, if you're reading that, it says that you might overflow with hope. And I'm maybe reading between the lines on this uh, a little, but I can tell you that that abounding hope, that hope that is overflowing God's promise for our life is not dependent on external things happening around us. It's not dependent on your favorite political party getting into power or, or your favorite sports team winning on the weekend. Thank you, God. It's not dependent even on the amount of money that might be in your bank account. Listen, it is possible to live a life full of all joy and peace overflowing with hope while right in the middle of crisis and challenge and uncertainty. It's possible. And I think that it all has to do with what you believe. It says again this, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. How? How does that happen? In believing. In believing. I want to propose to you today that one of the most important issues facing the life of a believer is what we believe. It's what we believe. Our beliefs are so crucial to allowing our lives to be filled with that joy and, and that peace. Someone once said this, he who has the most hope is likely believing the most truth. 
In fact, the level of hope that you have in your life right now and get someone next to you to do a hope check. I don't know how you would do that, but it's probably an indicator of how much truth you're actually believing. Your hope levels and the truth that you're believing, I've left my Bible down there somewhere, is, is, uh, is so connected. If you could, thank you, Anita. So uh, connected uh, to, together. And so some of the greatest hindrances to your hope levels right now are not because of stuff happening around you. It's not because of things outside in the world around you. The hindrance, the greatest hindrance to your hope levels are happening right now in the space between your ears. Hopelessness, having a lack of hope, will often give us a picture of our future that is so void, so absence of God's promises and his possibilities that we end up coming to strange conclusions about what is actually happening. And we end up believing the worst and not expecting his best. How many love spiders here? Anyone, anyone just really love spiders? What's wrong with you? I'm, I'm not a great fan. Uh, I'm not a great fan of spiders. When uh, a wee while ago I began my first job outside of tertiary study, it was actually here in Parapara Umu for a local power line uh, contractor. One of my tasks was to map the route where they installed power lines. And uh, this was done using an early form of GPS. And what would happen then, and rather than just a smartphone, you'd put this great big backpack on with a huge antenna that stuck out. And it was connected to this handheld unit that was worth about $10,000. And it was connected to the backpack by one of those black telephone spiral cords. You know, the ones that, that we used to have on our, on, our, on our telephones. And you could only go out when, when the uh, base station back at the depot said you could. There were little windows when there were satellites coming past. It's a very small window. And so, uh, and it had a black elastic strap that you would slip your hand in and, and hold on to this very expensive unit. And so one particular job, I was alone on some farmlands and power lines had already put in and I had to map these out. And it went across a stream. And instead of uh, walking down the road across the bridge, I'd seen a fallen tree and I decided, well, I'll, I'll just walk, take a shortcut across this stream. I didn't fall in, but as I was walking across this tree, I thought to myself, man, there's got to be some big spiders in this rotting tree. And I kind of got across to the other side and I jumped down and I began to plot the next power line, and I looked down at my hand, and I saw what looked to be the largest black hairy legs wrapping themselves around the bottom of this handheld unit. Well, in, in immediate response, I let out a nice scream, and I threw this thing as far and as hard as I could. I forgot that it was attached to that black spirally telephone cord. And of course, it came straight back at my face. And for about 15 seconds, only cows to witness this. I was kind of patting this thing and slapping this thing away as it kept on bouncing back. I was kicking it, continuing to scream until it eventually came to a stop on the ground. And I looked down and I could still see what looked to be these black hairy spider legs. But upon closer inspection, I then realized it was just the black frayed elastic band of the strap that held uh, my hand in it and so it felt a little stupid but again no one saw just the cows but my point is hey not everything appears 
to be as it is sometimes, right? When we are afraid, when we're in the middle of stuff happening to us, not everything appears to be as it seems. And I have discovered we don't always have a great perspective on our own circumstances. We don't always have a good handle on our own challenges when we are hope depleted or when we are hope deprived. In 1 Kings 19, we read the story about Elijah the prophet. In chapter 18, the, just the passage before, the book, before, the chapter before, don't turn there, we read how Elijah had challenged the prophets of Baal to a test to see whose God is more powerful. Some of you will remember this story. And so each side, if you will, they prepare a bull to be sacrificed and they place the bull on a pile of timber and then they call on their respective gods to uh, consume the sacrifice. And the prophets of Baal, it says, they danced in a frenzy all day, all night, screaming and working themselves up, but no fire. And then Elijah, we can assume, full of the hope of God, full of a confident expectation in what his God could do. In fact, he's so confident, he digs a trench around the sacrifice. He's so full of the hope of God that he then pours water over the sacrifice and over the timber, so much water that it fills up the trench. And then he calls on his God, the God of Abraham. And it says that fire comes down from heaven, consumes the bull, licks up all of the water in that trench until there's nothing left. What a cool story. A great story. And it says that when all the people saw what Elijah's God had done, they fell on their faces in awe. And Elijah has all of the prophets of Baal killed. I mean, it's a, it's a great story in the, old, in the Old Testament, right? It, it was a good day for, for, for Elijah. And, and then, then it comes as a, a huge surprise as we flip over the pages to 1 Kings 19. And we see Elijah going from being hope-filled to hope-impaired. Something drastic has, has changed. What, what's actually changed is Ahab, the king of those prophets whom he had killed, now wants Elijah dead. No surprises there. And, and so Elijah, he runs for his life. In verse 4 of 1 Kings 19, it says Elijah sits under a large tree and he's praying to God. He's lamenting and he's saying to God, I just want to die. He says, I've had enough, Lord. I had enough of this. I can't take any more. Take my life. Then in verse 10, he goes into a cave. He spends the night there and he, and he says to God, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. And I am the only one left. And now... They are trying to kill me too. Elijah is having one serious case of hope impairment. I'm the only one left. It's just me. In other words, there's no one else right now in this situation who can help me. I am on my own. The world is against me. I am doomed. It is hopeless. It's hopeless. Elijah's perspective on his situation was so warped, so distorted, that he actually came to the conclusion that death was his only viable option. But watch this as we keep reading. God gives him a perspective upgrade. 
God begins to put truth into his situation. Verse 18, it, it says this, God says this to Elijah, listen, Elijah, I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. In other words, there are, Elijah, right now in the midst of your turmoil, in the midst of this adverse situation, there are 7,000 other reasons right at this moment for you to lift up your head and be hope-filled. 7,000 reasons to be filled with hope. 7,000 reasons that you've not been able to see because you've succumbed to fear. You've allowed things to intimidate you. You've allowed stuff externally around you to pull that hope outside of you. But the truth is, Elijah, you're not alone. The truth is you're not the only one left. The truth is, God says, I am doing way more than you can see. 7,000 other things that you cannot see. Get up, Elijah, and hope in God. Hope in God. You know, many of us, we, we we continue to battle with stuff in our lives, things like insecurity and, and fear, particularly around spiders. And, and uh, we, we battle with negativity and hopelessness, despite at some point in our lives receiving Christ. For those of you who have done that today, but what I think we've done is we've neglected to allow the Holy Spirit to continue to detox parts of our mind and have him continually, daily do that with us. And what we often do is we blame the devil for stuff that's going around for our lack of hope. We spend a lot of time actually rebuking the devil for this thing and, and that thing. And, and it's really important that we do kick the devil in the teeth every now and then, probably a daily habit we should get into, but we can often spend a lot of time on things out there when our highest form of spiritual warfare happens inside here. Often happens in our minds. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4 reminds us of this. Let me read it to you. It says, The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. You know, we often think of a stronghold as some geographical area that's been overtaken by demons. Oh, there's a stronghold in, in that place. And again, I'm not making light of spiritual warfare. There is, friends, a wrestle against principalities and powers, against, against uh, spirits of darkness. That is very true, but I just don't think this is what this verse is referring to. It says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. In other words, strongholds are beliefs, they are arguments, and they are ways of thinking, habitual thought patterns that, that, that get wedged in the mind that are contrary to the Word of God. A stronghold naturally is like a, 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 a military fortress, a, a place established on a, on a piece of strategic territory. Well, guess what? There may be, or there, there could well be strong forts established in your mind that hold your emotions captive, beliefs that are entrenched in our thinking that are contrary to truth. 
author Ed Silvaso, he said this on the screen, a spiritual stronghold is a mindset impregnated with hopelessness that causes us to accept as unchangeable situations that we know are contrary to the will of God. If you found yourself in that kind of place, you know what God's word says, but you just can't, there's tension, there's a gap between the two. I'll, I'll, never, I'll never break free from, from this, this addiction, or you know what, good things never last for me. Or, there's no solutions to my problem right now. It's just, it's just hopeless. You see, where, where despair has infused itself and given you a reason to believe that your situation is impossible, that it could never change, guess what? You're probably facing a stronghold. And instead of looking to God in that thing, instead of, instead of uh, trusting, trusting Him, and instead of leaning into Him, we become accustomed, habituated to doing it our own way until we don't even realize that that way of thinking has become so void of hope. And we start saying things like Elijah did, I, I'm the only one left. I'm all alone. Everyone else is gone. God, take me now. See, often our hopelessness about a problem is a bigger problem than the problem. Your hopelessness about that problem is actually a bigger problem than the problem. And I can recall, unfortunately, too many times in my own life where I've allowed hopelessness to cloud my judgment and my perspective and hopelessness to cloud and distort my conclusions to the things that I'm facing to the point where my hopelessness about that problem becomes a bigger problem than the problem. But listen, friends, we have a responsibility. We have a duty to feed our hearts and our minds on His Word so that we can learn to live and to think by the Holy Spirit's directives and not just what we can see with our own eyes, not just what we can feel, not just our emotions, because guess what? Your emotions will lie to you. They are not the source of objective truth. And so maybe this morning as I begin to wrap this up, maybe that challenge, maybe that situation that you're currently in, amidst, in the middle of, maybe that strained relationship, that negative outlook, maybe that challenge, that obstacle, maybe, maybe the thing that's keep keeping you up at night. Guess what, friends? Guess what? In the midst of that, as you are facing and journeying through that, there could be 7,000 reasons to be full of hope on that very issue. The thing that you think is hopeless, there could be 7,000 things that God is wanting you to see. As I wrap this up, you'll have heard the proverb, it's not on the screen, I don't think. It's uh, Proverbs 13, 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick. You heard of that? Remember that passage before? Most of us consider this verse in respect to unfulfilled dreams. Those, those things not yet achieved. It's my unmet expectations that are making my heart sick. It's not actually what the Bible says. It says hope deferred makes the heart sick. It's not the absence of good news that's making your heart sick. 
It's the absence of hope. In other words, the moment that you and I stop hoping is what's going to cause sickness in our hearts. We have to keep finding hope. We have to keep residing in hope. We have to keep leaning into the one who is hope. Hope is not just a feeling. It is a person, Jesus Christ. King David said this in Psalm 43, 5. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. Put your hope in God. Now, Paul says in Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you. Not tomorrow, not next week, not when this pandemic is finally over, not when you have enough money in your bank account. It says this, now, turn to the person next to you and say, now, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. The moment we believe his truth in a particular area is the moment you can get filled with his hope and peace. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Come on, Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for these people here today. And there's a lot of things outside these walls that are depleting our confident expectation. And I thank you that you are the God of hope. And your promise today is that we can be filled. And so I pray, I pray and I release the hope of God over discouraged hearts this morning. I pray for your hope to fill that we might experience that joy and peace, not anchored in anything else but you. May we walk out of this place with some of the hope of God in our lives, right in the middle of those challenges in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, maybe you're watching this online today here in this room and you've never experienced that kind of hope before. As I said, that hope is not a thing, not a feeling, not just an emotion. It's a person, Jesus Christ. And the best decision you can ever make is to invite the God of hope into your life. How do I do that? You do that by talking to Him, surrendering your life, giving up your way and inviting that God of hope to come in. Pray a prayer that goes something like this. Jesus, I need you. I need you in my life. Come and be my Lord and Savior. Come and fill me with all peace and all joy that I might be overflowing with hope. Thank you for the forgiveness of all my sins. Thank you for your performance on the cross. Come in and live in my life, I trust you with my life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. It's Pastor Adam. Thanks, Wesley, so good. Hey, can we put our hands together? Thank you so much. It's good to have you back home and uh, in the land. Where's your family? I see your family gives a wave, Caroline, there. Welcome back, everybody, and uh, they've come to, uh, yeah, let Thank you for that one person. Everyone, let's just welcome them all back. Hallelujah. Just uh, uh, so, uh, so good. Why don't you stand just as we close uh, uh, today?
turn to the person next to you and say, I hope you will buy me coffee. <coughs> and um, enjoy some fellowship. But let me pronounce this blessing over you. But before I do, just remember you, if you need prayer for anything, there's a prayer station over uh, to the side here and uh, there will be people there ready and willing to pray with and for you for anything. The Lord bless you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. The service is over.